What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Um, Phil, I'm just happy that we are recording this a day after the Bills loss because having to record an episode right after what we witnessed on Sunday night would have just been terrible. Yeah, it's almost like if you just go back a couple of years and it was just as bad yeah. when they uh, only had 13 seconds. But we learned, and hopefully the Bills will learn, because we learned to have uh, our episode delayed recording and record it a little bit after the uh, the playoff game is over and give ourselves some time to relax. I think, personally, we should just release uh, essentially the transcript between you and me that has been going on since last night and throughout all of today and all of our back and forth conversation we've had about this team, because that's essentially uh, <laughs> what this episode's going to be is just us going back and forth. What went wrong? What went right? What the future looks like, which we'll try really hard, I guess, not to get into too much because we have a very sad, depressing, long, more depressing than usual off season to get through. But happy that we gave ourselves a little bit of time to emotionally settle down. We're not coming into the super hot, but even this morning, you and I were both kind of woke up still very upset and our, our feelings hadn't faded quite as much, I think, as we would have liked. Yeah, so I am, uh, well, we're both recording around 3.30 on Monday afternoon and Brooke's still at work, so I got all three dogs running around the house. So if you see them running around making noise, that's what it is. But we'll dive into the show. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Like we said, we'll start with the Bills. 27-24 defeat. Once again, to the Kansas City Chiefs, the only change this time in the playoffs was it was on their home turf. Um, Phil, I don't know where we want to start with this, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, but I will let you take the lead. Maybe we start with the good and then finish with the bad because I, I don't, I, I'm still, like you said, I'm still a little hot and a little bothered and not in a good way about this team. Yeah, I feel like the the second we really start getting into this, it's gonna it's, it's gonna all rush right it's back because go it bad. was it wasn't that long ago. It was uh, less than twenty four hours and, and then some. So it's still extremely fresh. It's still all there. I guess we'll start with the positive. Um, they kept it close. It really should have been a game they won, which I guess is about as positive as we could possibly get. I mean, if they throw the the touchdown at the end there I think they were controlling that drive very well if they pretty much run off the clock at a touchdown and then your defense just has to stop KC from scoring a touchdown I think the game was theirs in the post-game press conference which I feel so bad for these players and coaches that have to go through that I understand it's in their contract I understand we want to see it we want to know what they're feeling but I mean Josh Allen just looked beyond defeated um but listening to him, even on that play, they did ask him uh, at one point, they said, like, coming out of the two minute warning, did you think the game was yours? And he said, yes, we thought at that point in the game we were going to win. Like we score a touchdown here. We're going to win this game. So coming out of the two minute warning, they had the confidence that this was their game to win. I mean, so I guess the positive right there would be simply you made it all the way to the two minute warning in a game against the Chiefs in the playoffs at home, thinking you were going to win and then in typical Bills fashion, it falls apart and blows up in your face. But I mean, I guess that's the the main positive is you were in this game. The defense 
attempted to hold together as best as they could. We knew it was going to be an offensive game for this team. If they were going to win, it was going to have to be through the offense. The defense was simply not going to be able to hold. I mean, you got AJ Klein coming in off the street trying to, you know, run protect against Kelsey. It's simply not going to happen. It's not even fair to really ask AJ Klein to do something like that. So it's just the state of the defense that they were in, but they gave the offense the opportunity to win the game and they, they almost had it, but once again, came up short like they always do. Yeah. I mean, the in the as bad as the defense looked in that first half and for the majority of the game where they just literally couldn't stop anybody which is you know it, it makes sense when you're down to the players that they were down Scrubs. to not an excuse especially with the defensive line because the defensive line was just putrid and we'll talk about that in our bad section but like you just mentioned they gave the offense the opportunity when it mattered to go down and take the lead with the Kansas City Chiefs didn't score past 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's how good the defense did. On that fake punt, which I'm actually a fan of, I thought that was a good decision by Sean McDermott, especially after what he said was he didn't believe that the defense was able to stop the offense, and that was true because we were seeing it over and over. I want my head coach to go down swinging, and he did that. Now, was it a smart play to take your star quarterback off the field and go for it? No, but in the end... We wanted Sean McDermott to be more aggressive in the seven plus years he's been here. And he was just that going down swinging. And I will take that 10 times out of 10, a hundred times out of a hundred times him making those aggressive play calls. And I have, I I more blame the execution where nobody was blocking DeMar Hamlin (laughs) on, on the fake punt. And apparently that was the call going in. So they, everybody knew that was the call going in. It's not like it was the 13 seconds, the kickoff and nobody actually knew what was going on. But anyways, that's more negative. But the, the defense made the stops when they needed to. They got the ball. They they punched the ball out. Jordan Poirier punched the ball out on the one-yard line, and it dribbled out of the, the, the end zone. If you want to say that dribbling out of the end zone was lucky, fine. It was. But they caused the turnover. They got another stop where it was a bad flag, a very late flag, and then they still forced Kansas City to punt the ball. So as bad as the defense was and as bad as the defensive line was, they made the stops when they had to. The offense, on the turn of it, scored 24 points. I said, and I'm patting myself on the back for this, if they scored 30 points in this game, they would have won it. And honestly, I really do firmly believe if they would have scored the 31 points that it would have taken there, if you would have scored the touchdown in that final drive, you would have won that game. Kick Kick the kick all you want. Tyler Bass, if he makes that, doesn't matter. Kansas City's going down this field and scoring a game-winning field goal. We know what's happening. Even in the wind, we know that's happening because it's happened so often. But the defense got the stops when they needed to, and I absolutely uh, – it's to me, with where the defense was, I'm giving them a pass because of how hurt they were. They did not look good whatsoever. I'm not absolving them from everything, but I'm not putting the majority of the blame on them. I'm putting it on the offense, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and and the offense, to me, I I feel like they're getting more slack. And I know you and I, I think, differ a little bit on this one. I think they're getting a little bit more slack than they should give it. I feel like people are underestimating what Casey's defense really is this year and how incredible of a season they've had. And I think it was, what, eight weeks in a row. They haven't even allowed 20 points all season. They haven't allowed 30. Like, this defense is extremely good. They're very legit. This is what this team has been built on this entire year. Normally it's their offense. Their offense has been pitiful this year and their defense has been keeping them in games, allowing them to win. 
And their defense has been everything. So for the Bills to be able to do what they did for as long as they did. And again, it really came down to you had a chance to win it with two minutes left. Like this wasn't a blowout. This wasn't a game that, you know, by halftime it was over or anything like that. Like the Bills had every opportunity to win this game. And when their offense needed to come up clutch, they couldn't figure it out. And I do agree with you. I think that's on the offense, not the defense. As far as, you know, losing this game, you had to get to 30. I think they knew that. And again, no team has done that against the Chiefs defense the entire season. But still, that's what it takes in the playoffs to win. They weren't able to do that. So I do agree. I think it's on the offense as far as if you want to really point a blame. But I still don't think the offense had a bad game. Like I don't think you can look at this game and just say the offense was terrible by any means. Like They still did pretty well on offense. You still put up, again, 24 points, more points than anyone has on this defense in eight weeks. It's not what they needed. They know they needed more, which is the issue. But I still think overall, offensively, it wasn't a putrid, terrible game, but it wasn't a good one either. I mean, you had a, a first half punt, and even when that first half punt came, I was like, okay, well, that's the game. You punted once, and that's all that it really takes in the game. Every single time we watch these two teams play, it literally comes down to that, and it's so nerve-wracking when you have to watch these two teams because literally one punt, and you're like, okay, well, the game's over. Like, that's it. That's all it takes in these two games, and it's just so frustrating to watch these teams. But, like even after they got the ball back and then to go three and out and then you're like, okay, well now it's over. And then they got the ball back again. You're like, okay. Like they kept giving the offense opportunities to make something happen. And in the end, when they were needed the most, they they fell flat, which is unfortunate. But again, I, I don't think the offense necessarily had a brutal, awful, terrible game, but they did not do what they needed to, to put a win out there. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I, I'll, my last positive and then I'll talk about the offense. Josh Allen, he's just incredible once again. I mean, the throw to Shakir, yes, it was an unbelievable catch, but the play he made throwing cross body to find him in the end zone on a broken play, just elite level quarterbacking. He just takes his game to another level in the playoffs. The the toss back to um, Ty Johnson to set up the fourth and one that they end up going for. The bomb to Diggs, yes, he dropped the ball, but that throw with the wind and the cold he put that exactly where it needed to be. That that he's just a different animal. And what sucks is that he's been on the losing side of all these games and in the playoffs he's just elite. I think he's like 27 touchdowns and four interceptions or something like that in his career in the playoffs. It's just filthy. It's, it's filthy numbers. He's one of the best quarterbacks ever to play in the playoffs, and he can't get by the divisional round. And I can't put the blame on where I was saying where the offense was at fault in this one. It's not because of Josh Allen whatsoever. I mean, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not putting any blame on Josh Allen whatsoever. In in there was one play. One play where I think you can critique him at all, and it was the second and nine where he didn't take digs, but the more time I'm watching it, he had Shakir if he just steps up in the pocket and doesn't get pushed into by Chris Jones, who's pushing Deion Dawkins into him. I think he makes that if he's able to step into it. If he adjusts his spot in the pocket, I think that's a touchdown. That's the only criticism I have in this entire game, even with the fumble where he was being a you know, superhero Josh Allen. But my thing is, I... I Agree. The offense was moving the ball flawlessly in the first half. They were running over the Chiefs in the run game. Everything that they were doing in the first half, I was perfectly fine with. It's the second half. You scored seven points 
on this defense. You scored 17 in the first half, seven points, and the seven points came on your first drive in the third quarter. And still, even with that, it took 15 plays and 825 to do it. That That's my biggest issue is Kansas City scored. Where is this? With 1420 to go in the fourth quarter. And that was the last points in this game. That, that's what's getting me because the next drives, four plays, seven yards, 127 off the clock. Then, you know, the 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 punt, three plays, minus two yards, one or 124 off the clock. And then it was the missed field goal. So that's where I, if you're going to play the style of play they played, where it was time management, keep your defense on the sidelines, it's all hurt. You know, methodically moving it down the field so you take time off the clock and you, the error, the, the, the range of uh, error that you're allowed is so minuscule that you can't make any mistakes. And yes, the first half was going great. I mean, they had one punt, whoop de doo But it, they were playing exactly how you wanted to draw that up in the first half. Even the next, the the first drive in the th- in the the third quarter, they went down. Like I said, 15 plays, 75 yards, 825. That's perfect if you want to keep doing that. But you had nothing else in your arsenal and I'm not even really blaming the play calling. I still don't, we were having the conversation and this is down the road that we can talk about it later about Joe Brady. And if he's the OC moving forward and I think we both believe he will be, but do we want him to be is the different question. We'll talk about that down the road, but I can't even really blame the play calling. It's more the execution and your star players and the playmakers on the team besides Khalil Shakir, nobody was stepping up and doing much. Kincaid disappeared. Uh, Sherfield drops two balls. Diggs dropped the ball and then couldn't get open. It, it Cook drops a surefire touchdown. Yes, that ended up being a touchdown whatsoever. But going into the negatives here, the, the offense just is a big letdown when you needed them to be the star performance. And you can you know, pat the backs of Kansas City all you want. I, I completely get it, but you got Josh Allen. You got, you got enough. I'm not even saying you got enough talent, but nobody else stepped up, but Josh Allen. And that's, what's so annoying to me watching this game over and over and over is Josh Allen put on the performance of a, a quarterback that should be in the Super Bowl this year. And he didn't get any help. Yeah. Shakir finished seven of nine, only 44 yards, but still, I think all of most of his catches were hard earned catches that were pretty impressive. I mean, the touchdown, absolutely incredible. Even that screen pass they had to him trying to set up that first down, he had to like swing his entire body backwards, catch it, and then still take off running. So he looked incredible. But then, I mean, you swing to the opposite side and you got three of eight for Diggs, and that was probably the worst one. I know you mentioned Kincaid, but he was five of five for 45 and actually led the team in receiving. So him, he might have been a little bit more simply scheme was not finding him until the second half when they finally started to use him. And then like, you know, it actually worked out pretty well for them in the second half as he started to get going, but just feeding the players that were doing so well, they were just, were not getting fed and digs. I just, I don't know. I, I don't understand digs at all. I mean, especially being who he is and being just one of the greatest wide receivers in the league. You can't drop that ball. Like it plain and simple. You that's, that's a Gabe Davis kind of move to drop a ball like that right through your hands, a monster 50 yard pass play that could have completely changed the entire game. Like you simply cannot do that. I understand it happens in in life. It happens in sports like, you know, plays like that just exist. But in that situation, being a team's wide receiver one and being one of the better ones in the entire league, you just you got to have that play. And even like you said, like Sherfield, I know he's not 
your dynamic wide receiver. He's not your top guy. He's one of you, like your wide receiver five, arguably on this team. But still, yeah, you're a wide receiver in the NFL. It was a pretty uncontested. I know he had to die for it, but it was a pretty uncontested catch. And I, maybe the wind blew it a little bit as it, you know, as he's diving for it. But it's just the the small plays like that, like you mentioned, that Allen just was not getting the help he needed. I mean, Cook, other than his typical seems to not want to catch walk-in touchdowns. Uh, I think he had a, a pretty good game. I thought the swing passes to him to just get him out in space and get five, six, seven yards on first down. I think the first down play calling seemed to work really well until the fourth quarter where they ran it up the middle twice and lost yards and then ended up losing the entire down. I don't know what happened on those two, but other than that, they the first yardage that they were getting was really good. But like you said, Allen... Even him is carries 12, 12 carries for 72 yards and two touchdowns. Tried to put the team on his back the best he could. The only one that really seemed, I mean, Kincaid and Shakir to me were stepping up. Cook was doing decently well, but I think the biggest issue with this, and again, I don't know if it's a Brady thing. I don't know if Diggs just doesn't care anymore, gave up, just had a rough game or had a rough entire second half of the season. I don't understand what's going on between Diggs and Brady and Allen and why they're not on the same page, but your number one wide receiver cannot go three of eight for 21 yards in a must win playoff game. That's just not going to allow you to win the game. I mean, Kelsey had his what first touchdown in eight weeks finally, and they ended up getting two of them. That's the kind of step up you need from your top players in a game like this. And Diggs just once again, disappeared and I, I don't understand why I don't know what went on there again just between Brady Allen and Diggs something was not working but you needed him to step up in this game and he all but disappeared yeah I mean it's the Sneed effect and it's the lack of other weapons on the outside so they can't shadow box Stefan Diggs I mean the last what how many weeks that we've seen Joe Brady the only time he's been able to get Stefan Diggs involved in the offense is passes two yards behind the line of scrimmage it's not good enough (laughs) yeah it's it's not good enough and Diggs weeks one through nine 70 receptions 834 yards and seven touchdowns since Joe Brady took over in week 10 I believe it was 47 receptions 422 yards and one touchdown to me your wide receivers don't just fall off a cliff from one week to the next. To me, that's a scheme thing. And I'm not trying to look forward too much. I'm still trying to talk about this game and the past games this season and try to put a bow on it. But to me, you can't be considered a legit offensive coordinator in this league if you can't get your wide receiver one more involved. Where were the passes where he's wide open for 15, 20-yard gains? The only times that they were able to even try to get him the ball behind or in front of the line of scrimmage were bomb shots. He dropped one and the other one the other week was like five yards in front of him. That they can't happen when your best offensive weapon besides Josh Allen is just non-existent. It was too easy under Joe Brady's, and I'm trying not to pile onto him because a lot of this is execution. And a lot of this is just the players on the field not stepping up in the positions that they're put in. But the wide receivers in this game were 12 of 21 for 75 yards and one touchdown. That's not good enough. This The first half, 22 runs for 124, that's a 5.6 yards a carry. In the second half, 17 runs for 28 or 58 yards and a 3.4 yards per carry. It it it's not good enough. The offense was just flat out not good enough in the second half. There were 13 plays of second and fourth or less. 10 of them were runs, 3 of them were called plays. 
That can't happen either. You, I got so sick and tired of hearing Tony Romo saying, oh, this is why I believe they're going to win the Super Bowl because they can actually run the ball. I don't give two farts if they can run the ball. Guess what? It, yeah, lost. They ran it 39 times. They passed it 39 times. They lost by three. This whole second half of trying to establish the run when you were getting jammed up the middle the whole time, Cook had no lanes to run because they were packing the box because they knew they weren't going to be able to throw it because they had no weapons out there. Kincaid just disappeared, and I think that's a scheme thing, and this is why, and this is why I was still so hot. And I'm again, I'm still not trying to look forward, but when your offense, you don't have guys running wide open, and I again, I like the play calls in the first half. I have no problem with the play calls in the first half, but there was no counterpunch in the second half when the Kansas City Chiefs defense came out and said, "Hey, we're not doing this anymore. You're not going to run it down our throats and move methodically down the field." They had no counterpunch, and to me, that is the offensive coordinator, in my opinion. That that's where I'm sitting at is. I, I can't put the full loss on him because the execution wasn't there, but the whole second half after that first drive in the third quarter, this game is on the offense because the game was there for the taking and they couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, the they had, what, back-to-back three and outs? Is that right? Back-to-back, back-to-back. Yeah, yep. so after if, the first one... If you want one, to conclude the fake punt, but yeah, it was, it was back-to-back three and outs. Right, and if after the first one, when you realize that Casey was starting to blitz, they were starting to stack the box, they were throwing absolutely everything to stop the run and just daring you to pass it after that first, you know, three and out where you're like, okay, they clearly have shifted their ways to stuff the run. And then you come back out the very next drive and just run it right up the middle for a negative loss again. Like that, that's where the counter punch needs to happen. Like you saw their counter punch after your really long third quarter touchdown, they finally made the adjustment in the fourth quarter to counter your running ability. They decided to blitz like crazy, stack the box and get in your face and there was no counter to that series. Like the, the first three and out that they had in the second half, they absolutely got pushed back and crushed and pretty much annihilated. And then there was no counter coming out of that second, you know, three and out that they they just went right back to what they thought was working the entire game. And there was no just switch and execution. Like that's where you almost need a first down play action pass. Like, you know, you've been running up the middle on first down or running the ball on first down every single time, pretty much. That's when you need a quick little play action. Find someone like, uh, you know, I don't know, a Stefan Diggs open for a 10 yard gain and start moving the ball again. But that just didn't happen. And I don't know if that is, like you said, execution. I don't know if that's simply Joe Brady being a very inexperienced OC, having just half a year under his belt. Maybe it's something that, if the Bills keep him, that is something he will learn over time. I don't, I don't know, but just unfortunate. It like the like you said, the offensive game plan worked extremely well until it didn't, and then when it didn't, there was just no counter until the very end when they started moving again extremely well. And I mean, it came down to a, a fourth and kind of long, and they were able to pick that up. And then again, out of that two minute warning, they thought they had it, but fell short. Frustrating. I I, I do believe it's on the offense. I don't think. It, I don't know. I mean, we can talk about Bass real quick. It's unfortunate he missed that kick, but I, like you mentioned earlier, I don't think that kick mattered whatsoever. I think if you – like, that's, I guess, a different question for you. Like, why – you and I both agree that if Bass hits that, there's no way Kansas City doesn't march down the field and hit their own field goal to win it. As McDermott, like, why are you even going for a field goal there? Like, why are you not even – just just go for it. Like, I really, truly believe that – a field goal there means absolutely nothing at that point in the game. There's no way your defense is holding them 
to stop them when they had, what, two minutes left and two timeouts, pretty much. I think it was down to like a minute, you know, what, 47 or 37 or something like that, that they got the ball back with two timeouts. They're going to get a field goal to win it. Their place kicker, Bucker, is one of the best in the entire league. Like, they're not missing a field goal. I don't care what the win's doing. He just drilled one right through the uprights earlier in the game with no problem. So I don't know in that situation. I don't know what it was. Trying to look at it real quick before they turned it over. It was fourth and nine. Again, it's a long, I get it's a long play, but I I, I truly believe that a field goal meant nothing. And I don't know why you're not going for it in that situation. I understand fourth and nine is not something that's going to be easy to get, but a field goal to me just meant nothing. I think I know why. It's because the previous two drives that Kansas City had, the one was the fumble that they punched out and it became theirs, and then the other one was the punt. You're just hoping that your your defense learned from its mistakes. I think Sean McDermott went back to, I'm a defensive head coach. We're going to kick the field goal, tie it up, and we're going to get a stop here. And I think that was the disconnect there. It was (laughs) Sean McDermott was going for the kick to tie it up. I think if it was like fourth and four, I I think if it was closer, I think he would have thought about going for it. But because I think Josh Allen was on the other side going, if we don't score here, they're, we're going to kick a field goal and then they're going to go down and, you know, end it. And I'm not going to have the opportunity to go and counter that. I, I think it was the, the two sides butting heads of Sean McDermott, the head coach seeing fourth and nine and, his defense just had two back-to-back drives where they were able to shut down Kansas City and get the ball back. And Josh Allen saying, I've seen this before. I've been <laughs> in the same position before. If I don't score here, we're going to lose. So and I'm not going I to honestly, overtime again. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I think the second and nine and the third and nine, you saw the, the decision-making by Josh Allen trying to go for the kill shot of scoring rather than what got them to that position of the methodical down the field because he realized, hey, second and nine, as soon as he missed Shakir there, it was, I have to pick up this first down here because otherwise we're going to kick a field goal and I'm not going to see the ball again. I honestly think it was the two heads without really speaking about it, butting heads because, you know, the one Josh Allen has seen this before and two, Sean McDermott has just seen his defense get two stops back to back to get his offense the ball back. Yeah, that third and nine is really the only play pretty much all game I had against Allen. Obviously, the fumble was unfortunate, but it recovered by the Bills, so it didn't mean anything. But the the second and nine Shakir throw, I mean, the announcers even mentioned it was very similar to Gabe Davis over the middle last season or whenever that was against Casey to, you know, burn him and get a touchdown. And then like you mentioned, and even he mentioned in the postgame press conference that had he had a little bit more pocket awareness and taken one step one other way or even if uh, – Dawkins would have given him literally half a second more to throw that ball. It's a touchdown. So that play, whatever. I have no problem with that. It was open. It was there. I don't think he was gunning necessarily just for the end zone on that play, but it was open, you know, and Shakir's been there for him the entire game. So that one I had no problem with. It was the third and nine that he ended up scrambling immediately super far away and then just ended up chucking it out of bounds. I think on that one, he had Shakir wide open on the left side of the field if he would have looked, and I think you could have gotten into – a, he had Kincaid as well, right in the middle. Yeah, I, I think if he would have just settled down in that, I think that's the one that got too much to him that he needed mentally. He wanted to throw a touchdown, end the game, and that was all he had in his mind. I think that one, if he would have settled down and found a way, like you just mentioned, to get five yards, six yards, seven yards, or even a first down there, 
I think the end of that game is a little bit different. But other than that, I mean, like you said, I'm not blaming Allen for pretty much any of this game, but just unfortunate. Um, and, and here we are. Here we are again. Here yeah, we are and, uh, again. We got a whole offseason now to talk about what the plan is, what we think is going to happen. I know locker cleanout was today. It sounds like Gabe Davis is hitting for agency and very unlikely to come back. Jordan Phillips and Micah Hyde are both questionable if they're going to continue their playing careers. There are a lot of players that are, you know, going to free agency or, or plan to go to free agency because the bills are $49 million over the cap. And yes, we choke all the time that the cap is just this made up thing. Josh Allen's contract is actually hitting this year, unless they do, you know, sign to the paper and push that money further down the road. But you got some big contracts that are coming up right now. And then there's a lot of players that are ready to hit free agency. So there's going to be a ton of changes with this team. Plenty of time to talk about in the offseason, but just another absolutely heartbreaking and disappointing loss to end another Bills season, and we've been on the end of three of them covering the show now, and uh, they're not getting any easier. At least we're being smarter about when we're <laughs> recording this, but we both were still high. We're both still heartbroken about this, and it doesn't get any... I sat on my couch, Phil, for a good hour and a half after that game ended just trying to process and figure out not even just how that happened more just how does this team ever win a super bowl like that that was my thinking was i don't know if this team is ever going to be able to cross that final threshold not only just to get to the super bowl but to actually win one yeah and that was the kind of the the problem with this this year, especially, I know 13 seconds, obviously frustrating and hurts. This one, arguably, I mean, not just as close. You were 13 seconds away, but pretty much a very similar situation. You're within two minutes. You score a touchdown there. You have a pretty good shot of winning it. So very similar. But this one, I think, hurts a little bit more because it's looking like, and again, like you said, I don't want to get too far into it because we have a long offseason to talk about it, but it looks like this is literally the end of an era for this team as far as like you just mentioned, before Josh Allen's contract kicks in, you had the time and the money to be able to sign players like Von Miller and spend on some of these bloated contracts to bring players in to win now and your your Super Bowl window. I'm not saying this team won't be good. I'm not saying they won't make playoffs. I'm sure they will be still a talented team. You still have Josh Allen as long as he's your quarterback. You have a chance no matter what, but it just feels like the the end of an era in a way, because I mean, even the Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, like this has been Matt Milano. I know he didn't play, but like this has been that core has been there. Diggs and Allen for, you know, what, seven ish years now, maybe a little less for some of these guys, but that core has been here for a really long time. And it just seemed like this was their Super Bowl window. These last three years was it like, this was your time to make that run. And now with Allen's contract kicking in the cap issues, We'll see what happens. I'm sure they will still be good, but now it just it just feels like that core that you know that time period is over, and now they have to find a, a new way to start again in a way. So it'll be a long, interesting off season. Just I feel like this one hurts uh, a little bit more because it seems like the end of of uh, a a run at least for this core of players. So we will put a nice bow on. We'll try to. Uh, on our next show where we will go over our awards and our nominees and then the following show on that following Monday which I can't think of the date right now I think it's the 29th will be the award winners being announced so Friday 
we'll uh, talk about the awards and the nominees, and then the following Monday show, we will award those awards. So let's continue with heartbreak. Uh, Buffalo Bandits, Friday night game. They lost 15 to 13. Frazier had four, Byrne had three, Nanakoke, McKay, and Smith each had two. Shots were 60 to 44 in favor of the Bandits. Vince, 26 of 38 saves. Orleman came in in relief for a bit. Three of five saves. Faceoffs were 19 for 12 for New York. Uh, Phil, it almost felt like a Rochester game all over again, except the offense wasn't able to keep pace with what New York was doing. I mean, they did until the very, They did, but not like (laughs) against the Rochester where it was like neck and neck the whole time. New York just put the very foot true. on their throat and just went, hey, <laughs> good luck trying to keep up. And they almost did. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. This is just a depressing time. So. Yep. 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 <laughs> this game, it's similar to a few of their games where they've either lost or had a very close comeback win. Like you mentioned, Rochester. There's been just a few games now. And I wrote a little bit about it in my article where they've just had one really, really bad quarter. And then all of a sudden they have to play catch up. And in the second half, they seem to do a pretty good job of that, but it's just digging that hole way too deep in order to catch up. And it's almost frustrating that when it was 11 to four and it was still in the first half, I was like, all right, this is terrible, but I have faith in this team to be able to come back from this situation. Like you shouldn't have to have the faith of that. They they should never be down 11 to four against a team like this. I know you and I both agree that New York is much better than their record shows. I think they're a better team than people think, but still you, you should not be being outplayed this badly in the first half. And they were able to find a way to come all the way back and then just uh, lose it at the last minute. But even still, you just, you just can't dig yourself an 11, four hole and expect to come back. And that's exactly what they did. And they almost did it, but not quite. But as far as just, how they got there, I guess we can start pretty much with the negative and then go into some of the positives. Um, the defense was just playing ridiculously soft in the first half. They were allowing way too much time and space for every single Riptide player out there, especially Jeff Teat. They just allowed him to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And even after that, the passes he was making to players who were cutting wide open in front of the net and just shots that were being taken with no pressure on them whatsoever, just... The entire defense was playing very slow and very soft in the first half, and they completely flipped a switch in the second half. They played much more aggressive, much quicker, and hey, look at that. They completely shut them down for the most part until the very last minute there. But the defense in that really bad second quarter just looked, again, very slow, very soft, allowing the Riptide way too much of an opportunity to do whatever they want. That offense is absolutely talented enough to do exactly what they did when you give them time and space. Yeah, I'm not going to be so gentle. Uh, the second quarter, that defense was just hot dog doo-doo. Like, there's there. no other way around it. I I thought that the Rochester game was a wake-up call for this defense of playing soft, giving the, the shooters a foot to two feet of space. Right. And we said this for how long? Jeff Teat's going to get his. You have to, you know, have a counterpunch for the other guys. You know, Riley O'Connor, one, seven, and eight. Stephen Keough, I called four it. goals. Called it. Mat- Matisse, seven points. It's just the secondary pieces that you just needed to, you know, lock down and not give them the opportunity and not give them the time and space. They killed you. Uh, Jeff Teeth had a ten point night, yes, but it was the secondary pieces that really killed you. 
I don't understand. And you hit the nail on the head. It's one bad quarter that seems to do these the, the Buffalo Bandits in. And I agree with that. But you're the defending champions. A lot of this defense, yes, hasn't really played together. I get that. But you still have veterans back there like Ian McKay, Steven, Steve Priolo, Nick Weiss, uh, Matt Spang. You have veteran pieces around these younger pieces back there. I don't understand. And, and a lot of the times, it was the vets that were playing so far off. I can't, I couldn't imagine how, and couldn't envision how many times I saw Matt Spanger, and I'm not trying to single any player out, but how many times I saw him right in front of me in the second half where he's just giving so much space. And in the lack of communication on the picks, that was also was killing them. Was They yeah, were setting picks, pick and, and then it was... Yeah, the pick and rolls were the thing that we were asking the Buffalo Bandits to do was used against the Buffalo Bandits, and it was just it was killing them. And then on top of that, where Matt Vince is usually lights out, he was not performing and stepping up and having the defenses back. There were a couple squeakers that 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 they had. New York had seven goals in seven minutes and nine seconds in that second quarter. There was just no stopping them. It was just unbelievable the run they were going on, and it almost felt like. Is this the same Buffalo Bandits team that we've been watching for years and years and years? They don't give up runs like this. Like, this isn't a typical Buffalo Bandits run that they give up. And on top of that, it was just there were stupid penalties that were being taken. They were getting uh, annoyed and overly aggressive and taking dumb penalties. And I thought this was a really rough game for Dylan Robinson. I don't exactly know what they need to do. Maybe it's trying to get some of these defenders back, you know, uh, uh, Zach Belter, uh, Frank Brown, uh, maybe down the road and Adam Bomberg. But I wouldn't be shocked if you see uh, Steve Dietrich out there making phone calls and trying to bring in reinforcements for this defense, because this is back to back weeks now where you have seen a first half of a defense that just playing too soft, too unorganized and just getting burned. And then you're relying on the offense to make an epic comeback, which they did, and they tied it 13-13, but immediately the defense lets Jeff Teat wide open in front of Matt Vince and score again, and another bad miscommunication where nobody picks him up. It's just, this is another situation where the defense just burned them, and they had a great three-game run where we weren't getting, where we were saying, I don't think they're getting enough praise for the run they're on against, you know, San Diego, Georgia, and um, Colorado, where they allowed under 10 goals. But the back-to-back weeks, this defense in that first half just has not looked good, and I don't know why they have to wait until the second quarter right. or the, the second half to have that thing switch. But in the end, Phil, six cause turnovers in this game, two by the defense. That's not good enough. That shows lack of aggression and lack of not care, but just lack of you know jam, if you want to say that. Yeah, that 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 was my question too. Is like, why is it taking to the second half for this team to turn it on, and then all of a sudden, you know, Vince turns it on, the defense turns it on, and absolutely shuts down the other team, so the offense can claw their way back into the game and try to take it back and win it again. Same thing against Rochester. Same thing against um, Colorado. I think they allowed eight goals in the third quarter, so that was. We are, I think it was actually five goals in the third quarter, but still, I mean, they just have these quarters where they're just terrible, and I, I just don't get how out of nowhere you're all of a sudden just a really bad team. I mean, there were two power play goals in the second quarter, and even though it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, which I wish it did somehow, I, I'm not sure what they would do to show it, but realistically, of the second quarter goals, four of them in a way were on the power play because two were on 
the delayed penalty. And in both of those situations, New York was able to get the sixth attacker on and set something up and scored immediately on that using their sixth attacker. So even though it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, technically, if you want to put it that way, New York was four of six on the power play because two of them were delayed and both times it wasn't a situation where they just happened to score while they still had five guys on there and the sixth one was running on. They actually set up very specific six man power play unit style and scored on both of them. And I think four of the second quarter goals were on man up advantages in some way, shape or form. So that obviously hurts. The Riptide are one of the best. I think they are still the best team in the entire league on the power play and man up unit. And that showed again. And then Buffalo had a five on three opportunity and couldn't put one in. I don't know what their power play is doing. All of a sudden they were one of the best in the entire league. And now these last couple of weeks, they've been not very good. I know Dunker Lee actually had a pretty good game and they were getting decent opportunities, but still a five on three, that has to be near automatic at this point when you have an offense this talented. Yeah, I mean, we can go through it. Albany scored eight in the second quarter on Buffalo. Uh, San Diego, game was pretty good. No no bad periods. And what happened uh, that game? Uh, Georgia, uh, no bad quarters. Colorado, you had five in the third. Uh, Rochester, seven in the first. Not great. And then New York, eight in the second. So, again, it's it's not an overall saying that this defense is just getting crushed. But when but the, we're not saying but that the good games, they don't right. allow that quarter. And then the bad games, they right. have one. Like, it, yes. that's the thing. Like, it's not like it's like a game like this where the Riptide scored 15. It's not five, 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 five. You know, it's not four right. quarters of five goals or anything like that. That would be more than that. But still, um, that'd be 20 goals. But it's not consistent. It's just one bad quarter where they're just terrible. Then all of a sudden they lock it down the rest of the game. And that's what needs to be cut out of these bad games. Rochester, same thing. Like it's just not consistent scoring throughout the game by the opposing team. It's one bad quarter of miserable play and the rest of it. They look okay. Yeah. That's where this kind of run like that is one where I just wish. And I, I get that the NLL is different than different sports. Like, when there's a run in basketball, you call a timeout. When there's a run in hockey, try to regroup, you call a timeout. Those are the runs that I just wish that John Tavares would just burn one of those timeouts and just go, hey, calm down, relax. I think that was part of pulling Matt Vince and then putting him back in. I get that. Give him a break. But before you even do that, I just wish you would call a timeout and just say, guys, we're still good. Relax. Or just something along those lines because I don't think – Correct me if I'm wrong, in the three years we've been covering this, that's ever been done. Like, out of these runs, the Albany game, even just this year, if you want to talk about it, this year with Albany, Rochester, and now New York, in those bad quarters, in those bad runs, I don't remember John Tavares ever calling a timeout and just trying to settle everything down. And I just, I don't know if that's just not a norm for the NLL. I'll have to, you know, try to keep track of that moving forward, watching all these games that I do. But I just wish that that would be a little bit of a, you know, uh, an idea moving forward rather than just letting it go and trying to have your team work it out. And again, that we're not over, we're not trying to be over critical of the defense that's had three bad quarters. We get that. I mean, they're sitting at three and three. The world's not ending. The, the, the team's we're not down the drain. The they're still, if the playoffs started today, they're the fifth seed. They're still in the playoffs. The the teams in front of them are not doing great besides like a handful of them with Albany losing and and Toronto sitting at 5 and 0 and all that kind of stuff, but 
this this is a a thing where the championship run last year they didn't have these bad bad quarters and again the defense is very different i just if they can take that out of their game and just find a way to stop these bad quarters and these bad runs and even in the second it wasn't the full second it, it was it was a bad 7 minute stretch where it was just a horrible 7 minute stretch but even that quarter it wasn't the full quarter it was a 7 minute stretch that really put the the nail into the coffin, not hammered it down, but the nail in the coffin. And it ended up being a Dane Smith penalty kill pick that was just unbelievably goes down and scores that kind of stopped the run. And that's what needed to stop it. But uh, it was, it was a ugly, ugly second quarter. That's for sure. So I don't know if you got any more negatives and move to the four or the positives or what you're thinking about this one. As far as the timeout goes, I think in the first half, I, I would like to see it more often. Second half, I understand you want to save that for a potential right. end of game. You're down by one, need that you know last second goal. You want to set up that play, or I'm not sure. I'd have to look at it. I'm not sure how challenges and timeouts work for the NLL. I don't know if you take your timeout, if you lose a challenge, or if those have anything to do with each other. Um, so something we'd have to look at. But for the first half ones, where it's the first quarter or the second quarter, where that timeout doesn't mean quite as much, I would like to see exactly what you said. And even when I was watching the game and it just kept going over and over, and especially some of those were so quickly put in, I was wondering the exact same thing, like call a timeout and just settle this team down in order to stop this run. Like it just runs like this are what lacrosse is built on. That's how you lose games. That's exactly what happened. So as far as positives, um, I mean, the offense for the most part looked good. If you consider the entire game, I mean, they scored six in the first seven in the second. That's very consistent and fine. I'm, I'm okay with a 13 goal game. Most times the bandits will win 13 goal games. It's just similar games like this where, they kind of get in trouble with the the defense having those runs and you just get in too big of a hole. But for the most part, I thought the offense looked okay. Cloutier seemed to disappear a little bit in this game. He ended up with zero points, but overall the offense looked good enough. I mean, Fraser was shooting a lot more than I thought he was recently. I thought I think this was his is... best game overall as a, uh, uh, for the year. And he's, he's just letting rip the last couple of games. He's been over 10 shots. I don't know. I'd have to look at it real quick. What he had in this one. It was he high again. Eight, 17, 17. Yeah. He outshot burn yeah. by four, which is just incredible. So he's just absolutely letting it rip, which is fine. And I mean, if you're going to put in four goals and 17 shots, I'll take that all day. So for the most part, I thought the offense was fine. Um, the power play concerns me, though, not scoring on a five on three or in general, not scoring on a five and four, like one out of four power play opportunities does not look good. I think they should be closer to 60 percent pretty much every game with the amount of talent they have on that team. So I think that has been bad in back to back games. So that to me is something that is a little bit concerning. But for the most part, the only other issue I really had with the offense was Dunkerley seemed to be ducking or stopping low shots really, really easily. He's a goalie that likes to move around a lot, but I, I just don't know why they didn't shoot high on him more often. He seemed to really protect the low side of the net much more frequently and often. And like the low shots just were not working because he pretty much just drops down to his knees like a hockey goalie and saves it. But a lot of their upper shots that they were scoring on or the the fakes when they got in close, that seemed to be what was working the best. And they just... They seemed to capitalize on it early and then went away from it in the second half. The first half, they were passing extremely well, finding inside lanes, faking out Dunkerley with multiple moves. 
And then the second half, they just kind of shaded away from that and they were able to score a few of those same goals, but it seemed like they were settling for those outside shots, which I do not like when they settle for. I understand every once in a while, you know, uh, the defense is not going to allow you to be getting an inside look every single possession. It happens. You're going to have to shoot from the outside, but it seems like they just get too complacent at times in the second half to just accept we're going to shoot outside and just kind of hope it works. Yeah, I just got a few more things on this game. The offense battling back, that that was big, seeing that they're capable of going on their own type of runs like that and not letting the, the score dictate how they're going to be playing. I, I really like that. I mean, Dunkerley had a very good game, but a lot of times, like you said, the offense was making it a bit too easy for him. Defense, much better in the second half. I, I firmly agree with that. Vince was just absolutely an animal in the second half, making unbelievable saves. And then I thought the face-offs, for as many people complaining and whining and crying about needing a face-off guy, I don't think they're fully grasping what Ian McKay is doing at that face-off dot. Where, yes, if you had Max Adler, I think your face-offs are like a 50-50 opportunity. Maybe better like 60-40 in the favor of Buffalo Bandits, depending on who he's going against. But you're not going to get the battles and the scrums and the quick turnovers that Ian McKay is causing. He's causing havoc in the faceoff dot, and that's the point of it. Like, we've been saying for, what, going on three years now, that faceoffs really matter in certain situations. Where, in this one, New York had a 19-12 to advantage in faceoffs. Buffalo had a 60-44 to advantage in shots. So, faceoffs and shots do not correlate. You need a faceoff win in those crunch situations, and in the Georgia game, he got it. He got it both times. In this one, he might not have gotten it, but guess what? You're not going to get every single one of them. If Max Adler was in there, if if Trevor Baptiste was in there, if TD Erlin was in there, he might not win that one. I mean, sure. And honestly, <laughs> he, he got the last one. Fraser yeah. won the ball that I picked it up and then just got leveled. I mean, I'm not going to go over that. That's why they lost the game. But realistically, on that very last faceoff that you needed to win, Fraser was still able to win that ball off of Ian McKay. Like It's not like he won it straight and they were able to just run away with the ball. Like New York still had to scramble, go pick it up. They didn't pick it up. Fraser picked it up and then got trucked over, but it wasn't a straight win by their faceoff guy to just pick it up, scoop it, and run away. Like Ian McKay still did exactly what you want to do in that situation, and it was still a scramble for the faceoff, face and the Bandits had the ball. They they physically had the ball at the very end of the game there in that faceoff situation. So, Correct I mean, I'm me so... if I'm wrong. I don't think that was a faceoff, though. I think that was a rebound shot that they had to go chase down. Wasn't it off of uh teat's goal or am i thinking of that one no uh, you're thinking something else because they scored on that one where frazier got hammered and that was at the dying two seconds left of the game that's what i was thinking of but yes yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean the the point still stands the the scrambles after the face-off are what's more important and a lot of times they're winning those out i mean how many times did you see that you know uh the, the new york would win it but then there would be a scramble for the loose ball and a cost turnover there because of what Ian McKay is doing. So you can complain and whine, and I'm sure it's going to continue until Max Adler comes back, and if he actually does. But faceoffs don't correlate with wins and losses in this league. It's nice to have in your back pocket that you have a guy that you can rely on, but TD Erlin was out at a Toronto game. Toronto still ended up winning. They were having Billy Hausstrauser take the faceoffs, and guess what? They still won by three. So 
it, there, I just wish more people, and I'm not going to try to go on a rant here because we're, <laughs> we're running long already, but I don't think people actually look at the numbers. They just look at, oh, you know, we, we got beat at 15 to 13 and we lost the faceoffs. There must be some poor, it's not correlation. There's no correlation between winning faceoffs and winning games. It just isn't there. It doesn't happen. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things that that and Matt Vince is washed up. He's old. He's 41 years old. Uh, he's, he can't do it anymore. They got lucky last year. They won in spite of him. It's just things like that. They make me ram, want to ram my head through a wall because there's just some people out there and I know there's select few and I know the people that talk the loudest are the ones that are just not the brightest, but it's just, it's those comments that I've learned to just stay off of social media looking after a loss or a win because it's just, it's mind numbing and it makes me feel like I am, I'm in a la la land of, uh, stupidity. Yeah, Vince is the uh, same goalie that only allowed four goals in a game three of a championship. To, you know, the guy that's got over 10,000 saves in his career now, too. That's uh, the one. He's one, uh, he's horrible. 150 wins. Uh, you only get that many saves if you're really bad at your job. That's all. Yep, yep, yep. And we'll get a comment. Well, how many goals did he let in? Shut up. Okay, um, <laughs> fellas, are there any other things you want to talk about this game, or can we kind of move on to the milestones? No, I think we're coming in pretty hot from the Bills. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, like we said, three and three, long season to go. Uh, la di da. We'll there talk about the Toronto game on the next show. But milestones, like we said, you can v- view all these before the game. Uh, Mad Vince, he did move into sole possession of fourth place in NLL history with 275 games. He also did cross the 10,000 save mark. Uh, unbelievable. Chris Cloutier got his two shots, so he's up over 400 for his career. Nanako got his uh, 100th loose ball in this one. Brandon Robinson also got his 100th loose ball in this one. Nick Weiss moved into sole possession of eighth place in Buffalo Bandits history with 117 games played. Chase Frazier is in sole possession of eighth place in Buffalo Bandits goal scoring mark with uh, four in that one. Josh Byrne also moved into sole possession of fourth place in assists for the Buffalo Bandits and Dane Smith is now in sole possession of second place in Buffalo Bandits history in points and uh, he's got a ways to go to catch Johnny T. But will he get there? That's the question. Uh, I think he will. I think he's got a very very good shot at it if he keeps up this current pace which I know down you know uh, down later in his career they might slow down but he's averaging what 130 some odd points each year (laughs) recently. I think he's got a great shot at it. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. We talked about that last time. He's pretty yeah, he's pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> but we'll look around the league real quick. Toronto twelve to nine victory over Georgia. San Diego fourteen to seven win over Albany. And Doug Jamison did get hurt in that one, so check the injury report moving forward. Vancouver eleven to nine upset win over Saskatchewan Rush. They won an unbelievable run in the second half where Saskatchewan just didn't score for like a quarter and a half. It was, it was really gross. And then Colorado over Vancouver, 13 to 10. So some upsets, some teams ahead of Buffalo continue to win. Some teams ahead of Buffalo continue to lose. Some teams behind Buffalo win. Some teams behind Buffalo lose. This unified standings is absolutely crazy. Eight weeks in. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, three and three, it's not where the bandits really want to be, but it's not terrible. So, I mean, it's not what we're used to when they've only lost four games uh, the entire season for three straight years. So, I mean, it's a little bit of new territory for them to already be three and three. But with that, I mean, the Bandits also go on insane 10 and one runs or 11 and one runs. So we know that this team is built to go on massive win streaks. They can do it. So three and three, while it doesn't look great, not doom and gloom, they're, they're going to be okay. 
Yeah, they were four and two at this point last year, so uh, they're fine. Not superly concerned. Their their schedule moving forward is very tough, but you know, if you win some of those games, you, you're looking great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to be able to move ahead of some more teams. You'll be able to pull some teams back to you. So, uh, like we said, as much as we were big stretch, kind of harping a bit on the Bandits, uh, three and three season's not over it's not even close to being over there's just some things you got to tinker and if you can limit those bad quarters and those bad stretches <laughs> uh you're gonna be pretty good uh not really overly concerned just uh stay tuned for if there's any moves for dietrich if there's another bad quarter ahead in the uh, toronto game because uh he tends to make moves after a really bad game so we'll move on to our last segment here and uh God felt there's like 36 some odd games left of the season. Buffalo Sabres Thursday versus Chicago. They won three, nothing. They did their job. Gergensen, Paterka and Darlene were the goal scorers, UPL and other shutout 19 of 19 saves shots were 31 to 19 in favor of Buffalo. And then Saturday, the letdown happened because you know, we can't have nice things in this world. Uh, Three to one loss versus the Lightning. Cousins was the only goal scorer. UPL thirteen to fifteen saves. Shots were twenty-seven to sixteen in favor of Buffalo. And Phil, before we dive into it, uh, that Saturday game, was watching it live, fell asleep after the second intermission because it was so boring. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they won one game and they lost. I don't know. That's one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, and even that, honestly, Chicago looked like it was a pretty even game for the most part, despite I know they outshot Chicago 31-19, and but as far as actually decent scoring opportunities go, Chicago had quite a decent amount of them that UPL had to stuff, and even the power play goal that went in against Chicago was off of the Chicago's defense, and they are the ones who actually put it in, so it wasn't even a nice setup by the Sabres that was extreme luck that it went in. Gergensen's goal was a nice tip. Paterka banked it off the goalie's face in order to score. And Chicago at one point had seven shorthanded shots in this game. I understand that they had a lot of power play or penalty kill opportunities, but still the amount of opportunities that they were allowed shorthanded was ridiculous. And then the Tampa Bay game, like you said, just again, I know they outshot them, but the shots you're getting are so terrible. Like they're, they're just, they're terrible. Like, I mean, it was uh, an article by The Athletic that I just read, and it was basically saying good luck to the Sabres the rest of the way, but they had some metrics by HockeyVIZ.com, and it kind of just shows the, I don't know if you've ever seen the hot and cold zones of where a team is shooting from um, throughout the season. So, so far this year, their cold zones are directly in front of the net and right down the entire center of the offensive zone. And last year, their hot zone was directly in front of the net where you score goals from. It's pretty weird. And last year, they were a top five offense. This year, they are terrible. So it's almost like they have no interest in getting to the dirty zones where you actually need to score goals. And they just love sitting on the perimeter, throwing really long, easy to save shots and saying, hey, look at that. We have 31 shots on net. We're a great team. They're not. They're not. The shots they're getting are just so poor and lack of quality, and it's just a miserable style of hockey to play, and it's so annoying seeing no one want to get to the dirty areas of the of the ice to actually put goals in. I think Cousins, when he scored against the Lightning, surprise, surprise, it was in front of the net because that's where you, you know, tend to score goals from. But just seeing that map kind of pretty much summed up the entire season. There's just no intensity from this team or no willingness to actually want to 
get to the dirty areas, play a tough game of hockey and want to score like the, the younger players and Benson Paterka cousins, UPL Quinn, like they still look good. They still look like they're having fun. They look like they're trying hard, but outside of maybe Darlene and occasional effort plays by other players, everyone else just seems like they're out there and could really care less about what happens to this team. And it's, we're just right back to where we were, almost a decade ago and it's it's lovely it's a lovely time to be a Sabres fan and realize you're once again not gonna make playoffs it's fun it's fun yeah real quick Brooks getting home now so you might be hearing some dog action in the background but I, I completely agree we've been saying this for a while that they're not getting into the areas they need to to score as you're hearing uh Reed bark <laughs> in the background because uh he's upset with this team as well so I'll try to talk louder but imagine what this team would be without this the play of UPL recently and his last six if you exclude the lightning game because I don't have the updated numbers for that one five and one 1.17 goals against and a 956 save percentage yeah he is uh we, in his last seven he's five and two with a 1.29 948 save percentage so not much worse yeah, even you. with that lightning yeah I mean it's just we were calling for steady goaltending play all of last year because their offense was so good. We're getting it now, and their offense is just... I don't... I, I'm not going to get mad, because I've already been mad a lot this episode. But I just... I don't understand where this this idea to change up their play style went. I, I don't get it. Well, I they mean, did too well last year. So Apparently, I, I don't know if it was just like, hey, we have to be better on defense. But guess what? You're not really that much better on defense. Your goaltender's just bailing you out. It's just, I, I don't... I don't know what to do and i kind of wish the bills and the saber seasons were reversed and the sabers were done because they're they're toast and we've been saying it for a while they have to go on this unbelievable run and they just can't do it they can't beat the teams in front of them like tampa bay you would have been able to pull a little dent in it if you were able to do that but tampa bay goes up early because of two dumb mistakes middlestad just fiddles it with it around the boards and then he can't get it out and then tuck i don't know what happens it was like <laughs> the nhl just you know when we we're playing chell i was saying and your like player just buffering. like lags yeah the the puck got stuck on the ice he moves and then it's a breakaway on the other end and it's a, it's a shorthanded goal which yes upl probably should have had his pad on the ground but he shouldn't have to face a one-on-oh shot on the sh- shorthanded opportunity there and then what happens is they go down early and then what happens with every other team, Tampa Bay plays off and then Sabres can't do anything because they don't want to dump a chase. They try to fiddle around with them in the neutral zone, trying to get it passed and try to get it in the zone. And then they can't do anything like that. Like you said, the 27 shots, you, you outshot them by 11, but how quality were those shots? They weren't. It's just they're, they almost feel like they're playing like we were so good last year we came up just short. We're kind of entitled to playing the style. I just, I'm, I'm so frustrated with this team. I, I really am. And I need something good to happen. And there's just nothing good on the horizon to look forward to. Just I mean, they EPL. sent down Levi and I'm like, good. They made a smart decision. They're oh getting gosh. in playing time. And then they called him right back up. Cause they got a West coast trip and they're like, well, we need him. It's, I, I, I Punted my phone across. <laughs> yeah. He's going to play one no of these room, two games either. That. Yeah, he's going to play either on Tuesday night or Wednesday why, night. Why can't Comrie do that? Why, why, right. why, why does Levi have to be pulled up just to go to the West Coast? Like, why can Comrie not handle that? What What is the big deal? It's just it. it the things so that is, is happening, I can't understand 
how this team can go from, and I, I guess I get it because we we were talking about it where you you were relying on so many of these guys to that had careers years last year, and I'm like a broken record because I have nothing else to talk about here. <laughs> that you're relying on these guys that had career seasons last year to do it again, and they're not doing it. And yes, injuries play a small factor in it, but other teams have injuries as well, and they're not having the same effect. It's just it's the curse of Buffalo. It, like it really is the, for the Sabres. The style of hockey they're playing this year is so, it's so far boring. away from what they played last year. And like last year it worked. This year, let's do the exact opposite. And it's not working, but we're going to stick with it because, sure, why not? Why not just They put me to sleep, though. This team it. literally, like I'm not even lying. They put me to sleep with how boring it was. Terrible. Like they were in it. It was two to one. And I felt they're not winning this one. They can't get by this deep. The only time they scored was because Cousins was left wide, wide open on the, the doorstep. And I think I heard it was like a 55 mile an hour wrist shot. It's just, oh. even looking at the playoffs here, because I have the playoff bracket here. Why not? They're nine points out of a playoff spot, but they do have a game in hand over Tampa Bay, Phil. But there's there's New York Islanders ahead of them, Washington's ahead of them, New Jersey's ahead of them, Pittsburgh's ahead of them, Montreal's ahead of them, and none of those player teams that I just mentioned are in a playoff spot. That that's how far back they are. They're not making playoffs, even if they go on an unbelievable run, which they're not capable of because they haven't been capable of it all year. I just I want to have a a company vote that we vote them off the show, and we'll just be a one show podcast moving forward. It's going to be a very depressing 36 games to just, I don't know. We're going to have to just quickly mention, yep, they are still playing. They won one, lost one, because that's what they do, and we'll see you next week. We do have a benefit. Uh, After this West Coast trip, they do get like a week off where we don't have to talk about them. I was going to say that there's some very exciting news for the Sabres. They have an all-star break coming up, and thank goodness, because it'll be a nice nice little vacation for us. So uh, if you're sick of hearing us talk about the Sabres, uh, imagine how we are talking about them. And uh, that's why we put the time breakdown. So if we're talking about the Sabres and you're sick of it, you can skip ahead. But Phil, is there anything else you want to add to this riveting show of uh, cry fest and complain fest that we've been on? Um, uh, let, let me know. Otherwise, we can kind of shut it down. Yeah, no, I'm depressed enough about this entire episode. You had a very rough couple days, uh, <laughs> not did. just with the losses, but you got COVID and... Uh, yeah, it's, it hasn't been a good week for uh, half this podcast. Now I'm ready to, to put this weekend far, far, far behind me. Mufo. So uh, I am wearing my Savannah Bananas hat to try to bring some positivity to this show. I um, did have to wear my uh, Bananas Championship hat just to remind myself that a team yeah. did recently win the championship. Yeah, uh, we're hard on the teams that we love. And uh that's that's why we were so hard on the Bills and the Bandits. But, uh, yeah, moving forward, uh, this is a one-and-a-half team show, uh, Whoopi. But, yeah, on our next show that will be coming out on Friday, that is the one benefit of the Bills going out now, Phil. We don't have to adjust our schedule anymore because uh, I'm starting to think, what do we do for the Super Bowl? Like, it's going to be have to be another delayed, and we're both going to be very, very not prepared if they win a Super Bowl, and if we're definitely not going to be prepared if they lose one. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, talking about Bills games are done. Um, yeah, so uh, no more Tuesday shows random tuesday shows we are strictly monday through monday and friday shows now because uh yeah nll doesn't do that to us like the nfl does but 
On our next show, we will talk about the nominees and the awards for the BSC Award Show for the Buffalo Bills, the third annual. Uh, stay tuned for Pat's lovely graphics that will be coming out on Monday after we had uh, announced the winners. We'll break down the Sabres two games that will be happening before we talk again. Whoopee for that, Tuesday and Wednesday on the West Coast trip. And then the uh, Bandits face the rivals Toronto Rock and Hamilton on uh on Saturday night. So some big, big matchups in the NLL coming up this week. And uh, I had a very bad pick week for the NLL. You had a, a better one than me and Pat's just running away with it. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com where you can read Phil's article that is dropping today on Tuesday. And then my power rankings come out on Thursday. Both of those on the website. Once again, buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time. Bye-bye.